Welcome to Real Deep Stuff. We've saved your seat at the table for this conversation. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. We are calling this the anniversary edition because I've asked my husband to come on as an official guest. This week is our 33rd anniversary and we actually got married on St. Patrick's Day and we will tell you all about that because who doesn't love a good fairy tale? But the purpose is to talk about what we've learned about marriage over the last 33 years, about ourselves, each other, us together. Yeah, it's it's a really cool conversation. We cover a lot of topics. It's actually going to be a two or three part series. If anyone wants to listen, we would love your feedback. Yeah, we thought maybe this would be cool for newlyweds starting out or even people dating and seriously thinking about maybe getting engaged and other people who've been married a while like us could laugh or relate or, you know, disagree with with some of our stuff. So we are just kind of putting it all out there, inviting you into our virtual private living room as we really just be very transparent and honest about marriage and what that really looks like on a daily basis. Lots of topics to cover, so I hope there'll be some really good ones. So let's begin with part one of the anniversary edition. Welcome back to Real Deep Stuff. I have a very special guest with me tonight, someone I know pretty darn well. I have my husband here tonight. Hey, Bruce. Hey. Yeah, this is weird. I am a very special guest today, aren't I? You are a very special guest. (laughs) And uh, for the listeners, so... I made a studio, and I have what I'm calling a hospitality bar, and Mm -hmm. so there's tea and coffee and snacks and water and all these things set out, and I wish you could have heard him earlier before we started this, just milking his guest ship, saying that he was going to go in and utilize the full hospitality bar, so have you been adequately pleased with the selection, sir? Wonderful decaf. Mm. Which you didn't know was decaf. No, I was kind of disappointed, actually. But yes, I did. I've got a wonderful cup of coffee, and I'm ready to be your number one favorite guest. (laughs) Did you have your snacks? Are you all good? Nope, didn't need any snacks. But thank you. I might in a little bit. Once we have a break, of course. Okay. Well, if you're wondering why we're doing this tonight, um, so... Our anniversary is coming up next week, and okay, husband quiz, how many years? Oh, hold on, let me, let me get off my calculus book. <laughs> um, 33, of course. It's easy, because we were married in 1990. Yes, we, we kind of planned everything we did on even years, so it would be easier to keep track. So we got married in 90, you're born in... 66. What? I'm not supposed to share that. <laughs> I'm seven, at, born in 70. And then our kids, 96, 98, 2000. 2000. So it's been easy to keep track of everything. So what are we doing with all of this? So we thought we would have fun and do an anniversary edition of this podcast to talk about the things that we've learned from 33 years of marriage. 19, you were 23 and a half. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we were really young. Remember what people said at our wedding? Yeah, it was never going to last. Remember they took bets? Yeah, they they all lost, so ha-ha on them. Yeah, we got the last laugh there. 
So, so what we're going to do tonight is we are going to pull topics that we have made. We made a list of things and in each topic, they're going to be randomly selected. And then within each one, he and I will each give like a he said, she said example for them. So, and very important to note, we have not shared our answers with each other. So I don't know what he's going to say. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. So we're just going to air all that dirty laundry for the world to see. And mm -hmm. as borrowing the idea from a friend, we may not be marriage experts, but we are an expert on our marriage. And we kind of feel like 33 years has earned us a little bit of street cred to share what has worked, what hasn't worked, and uh, hopes that um, it will just, you know, be at, at the least entertaining for people to listen to, but at most, you know, maybe they'll have a takeaway here and there. I think it'll be real. Some of it is going to be deep. Oh, my word. There's definitely going to be some stuff in there. And, of course, I thought it was very appropriate that we would have this session because when you told me about the idea of a podcast way back when, and you said, well, I think it's going to be a theme of mental health. And I thought, <laughs> perfect. We should definitely do an episode together because, yeah, we, we know a little something about quote, mental health and marriages, so. Yeah, you're mental and I'm health, so, you know, we fit. Exactly. <laughs> Just what I was thinking, too. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. I All don't right. know how long this is going to run. We may make this into two segments because we want to take our time with it and have have some thoughtfulness to it, have a little fun with it. So what we'll do is just start for the first couple minutes to tell you how how it all began to get to 33 years. And we do plan on doing more. If people want to hear us, if nobody listens to this, then we got the message. Yeah, but this will be the last one. <laughs> but if people so. want to hear it, we have tons more ideas to do together. So I uh, would love any feedback on this. So, mm -hmm. um, so we'll just take a few minutes and tell you <clears throat> how we met and got to get married. So I guess I'll say that I was um, Go ahead. I was born in Atlanta, moved to Tampa, Florida when I was one with my mom and my sister, and then grew up there and lived there for 27 years. And so I was, that's where I was uh, as a teenager um, and went to a church that was three blocks from my house. So I was attending there every Saturday, and, well, no, Sunday, <laughs> Fridays, Wednesdays, whatever, every time the doors open. So that, that's a, a setup for me. And on the opposite side of the planet, I was uh, born and raised in upstate New York in the Adirondacks, where I loved everything snow and everything cars. And as soon as I got out of the, um, high school, I knew I frankly needed to get out of Dodge. So um, rather than going directly into college, I went directly into the Air Force Went to, uh, of course, San Antonio for basic training. Went to Champaign, Illinois, in a little town called Rantoul for my training in flight simulation. And then got my first assignment, which was, you can guess it, in Tampa at McDill Air Force Base, where I served there uh, both as an uh, enlisted guy and then after I got out as a civilian. And 
I guess it was the flight simulation for about 10 years. So that's what brought me to Tampa. So back at the church, I was there for a Jews for Jesus concert. And that's, um, I guess you could call them a Messianic Jew or a completed Jew, Jews that have accepted Christ. So they were on like a singing tour, um, one of the groups. So that's what I was there for. And I was there with a good friend of mine, my girlfriend. We were sitting in the balcony, a small church. And um, we noticed this guy come in and sit on the same row a couple seats down. And I'd been at this church for years, and I was just like, who is that? He's never been here before. So the whole time, we felt like he was looking our way, but I was like, he's looking at you. And she was like, no, he's looking at you. I'm like, no, he's looking at you. And so I was very preoccupied the whole time and distracted from the concert because I just, what, where did this guy come from? He was so cute. And like, mm -hmm. what, why was he there? And, oh, yeah. Yeah. So the concert ended, we stood up, and I asked my friend, I said, hey, what time is it? And so I quickly turned and said, five after eight. Mm. Well, if you had said it like that, I would have run the other way, <laughs> creepster. But no, no. Said five after eight. Five after eight. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thank you. You were wearing black pants with a gold and black checkered button-down collar shirt and you had your hair all slicked back and I was just like you you when you answered me I was just like <gasps> she was like I told you he was looking at you and I don't know there was just something fairy taleish about it. it was like it was like the angel saying and you know beam of light shone on him and then so he <laughs> went down the stairs from the balcony downstairs and I was I was 15, so I was totally boy crazy. So I ran down the stairs after him. I had no agenda at that point. I just kind of wanted to like get a second look at him and like where where was he going? And so I a lot of people got between us, you know, leave everyone leaving at the same time. It was quite dramatic, like you'd see in a Hallmark movie. And run down the stairs, and he's gone. He's just gone. I'm like, where did he go? And Kind of like the reverse Cinderella, really, because <laughs> you were just off in the night, and I was standing there, and I remember standing in the back of the church going, God, I don't know who that was, but I know that I am going to marry him, and I may date, but I will wait for him, and you did not come back and darken those doors mm -hmm. for two years. Mm -hmm. Well, I was 19 at the time, so if you guys are doing the math, fresh in my assignment in the Air Force down at McDill, and I didn't have the foggiest idea how old she was, but all I knew is she was completely adorable, and I was like, wow, she's, she's really, really cute. Just got to my first assignment, just trying to figure out life. So, anyhow, so yeah, two so you, years. Two years you spent going to a different church with an airman buddy of yours. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I didn't know where in the world. I'm like, did I just imagine this guy? Like, what in the world? And then, lo and behold, you show up again one day. And I'm like, what? And then, but it was sporadic. It was like every three weeks or every two weeks or once a month. And I would tell my friends, I'm like, what is this guy's deal? Like, who is he? Remember, there was no internet, no Facebook, no mm -hmm. social media at the time, not even cell phones. So it was just like, you know, you were either there or you weren't. 
So I told my friends, I said, if he comes, ever comes back, I'm going to introduce myself to him because I was just this like boy crazy teenager. And you came back that next time. It was a few more weeks, but I would like get all dressed up every week, hoping this would be the week. <laughs> and then you came back and I was like, this is it. I'm not going to miss my chance again. So we went to a church that wasn't super structured and didn't have like a program to follow particularly, but I mean, I knew it pretty well and I mean, been there a long time. So I was like, all right, on the last song, I'm going to go over and stand by him. So on the last song, I literally got up out of my seat and went over and stood by you. And then plot twist, the church sang seven more songs. And I stood there for 20 minutes wanting the floor to open up and swallow me. I had never been so embarrassed in my entire life. But I had to just stand there. I was in it now. So just stood there. And then afterwards, I was like, hey, who are you? And we got to talking. And I said I was having a, a struggle with math, no surprise, in school. And you were like, well, I'm really good at math. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not good at math. And you were like, well, if you need any help, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so you started off as a tutoring Tutor. friend. <laughs> yep. And um, kind of separately, the, that day that I met you was a month to the day that my mom had passed away. So I was, I was a hot mess, but I wasn't going to show any of that to you at that point. So, yeah, we became friends. I was mm-hmm. living with my grandparents, and um, so glad they took me in, or else I would have been in foster care for my senior year of high school. So I was living with them, and, uh, yeah, you'd come over to their house and help me with my schoolwork, my math. And then the, you had to have some surgery. Oh, yeah. Um, gosh, tonsillitis. So I kept getting tonsillitis and throat infections. I had to have my tonsils taken out while I was in the Air Force. And uh, that is not a picnic as an adult, to say the least. So anyhow, I'm like, all right, I get it scheduled. So I'm going to go get my tonsils out. I'm on the base and the base hospital, the base doctors and all that jazz. I have the surgery and I'm laying there in bed and uh, in the hospital and I think I had just come out of surgery, actually. I, I barely even, I don't think I had woken up yet. No, I hadn't even woken up yet. But when I woke up, surprise, surprise, who was standing there? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, I hope this isn't like going to be recorded and monitored by the FBI and CIA. Oh, they may come get you. Because somehow she got on the base without any authorization, without me giving her a, uh, you know authorization nobody she just sweet talked the guards evidently oh, oh i was gonna say don't make it sound like i climbed some fence i mean i drove up to the gate station the mm-hmm. guard station and i said hey i'm here to see a friend and they're like do you have a pass i'm like no so they said well can we call them and i said no because he just had surgery that's why i want i want to surprise him i had balloons it'll you know the quintessential little stuffed teddy bear and the whole thing I was 17, and uh, and I was like, no, I really wanted to be a surprise, and they <laughs> they just let me on 
pre 9-11, I will say. So, yeah, so you it was know, a long time before Very that. different world at the time. <clears throat> Although what we call that now is social engineering. <laughs> it's the number one way that terrorists <laughs> act. I'm just saying Don't it's a fact. Use that word. Um, I'm not calling me. you one. I'm just saying you acted like one at I that time. I did not. I just asked if I you could were... see my friend in the hospital. Well, you know, hey, this podcast doesn't work out. You got a future in <laughs> social engineering. Anyway, so they let me on, blame them, not me, and yeah, I went, I showed up at your hospital room, and it's so funny, I thought you were going to be so happy to see me, and then like, because you can't really speak, because your throat's all messed up, you still managed to get out, like, you just look terrified, you're like, how are you here? And I was like, they let me on. I, I was afraid I was going to get busted for it, because, I mean, you don't understand, a young 19-year-old airman on the base for the first time. With a lot of responsibility thrown at me as a youngin, and uh, this Did you girl. Say youngin? Yeah, I was a youngin, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was serious business. We're dealing with you know equipment that's tens of tens of millions of dollars, and some of which is incredibly dangerous. Uh, military secrets. I had a secret security clearance just to do my job. It was like. You can't be here. I'm like, get out. <laughs> they gave me an official pass, so I was. Yeah. A, I, they let me on. It's their problem. Yep. Anyway, I'm not so, so I remember I'm, trying to like make you feel better, and I remember I was kind of leaning in close to you just to say like, hey, I'm, you know, how are you feeling? And your breath was so horrible because with tonsillitis, you got all that like bleeding and stuff going on back there. And yeah, it's like. It was rotten just flesh disgusting. in the back of my throat. It was like a zombie breath. <laughs> it really was. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, I've never been this close to him. His breath is horrible. It smells like death. If this is my lot in life, then okay. It was a real thing wow. for me because I'm high sensory. So I was like, okay, I guess we're gonna, I guess it's going to be this way. Very happy your throat healed and it did not last, which is great. Well, that is some true love right there. They let you go home, but you didn't have a home to go to. So you went to an air buddy and his wife's yep. house. Yep, good buddy of mine and still friends today. Yep, good people. But they had three little tater tots running around at the time. And after a couple of days of trying to nurse you back to health, they were like, we love you, Bruce, and you need to leave because we're just <laughs> overwhelmed. <laughs> and so you didn't have anywhere to go because, you know, none of your family's down here. So I asked my grandparents, I said, can Bruce just finish recovering here at the house? And so they said, okay. So they put you up in my granddad's office that had a little height of bed to it. And grandma made you cream of wheat every mm -hmm. single day. The only and thing I could eat. I still say to this day that she nursed you back to health. Well, <laughs> she was a master caregiver. She, she took care of her mom, my great-grandmother, for 10 years of Alzheimer's in their home. And then she took care of my mom for her 11-month battle with cancer in their home. And then she took care of my granddad for his three-month battle with cancer in their home. And, and in the meantime, let me live there three years. So um, she just had nurturing in her blood, and you were mm -hmm. in great hands. And so it was after you had been staying at their house for, I don't really know, it was like a week or so, we just were kind of like... I think we might be more than friends at this point. And then you asked me out on a, on an official date. Formal, official, real deal. Because we've been doing lots of fun stuff together. Yeah. It was We were friends for 
three and a half months. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Three, six months, something like that. And we've done all kinds of fun stuff together, just as friends. And the first date we went on was to listen to a 14-year-old violin prodigy. I still have the ticket stubs, a picture of us. I wish this was a video, you could see it. Big hair, I had big 80s hair. I did, you had a mullet. I was, doing, I was working on a full mullet. No, you perfected the it was pretty awesome. <laughs> and that violinist was amazing. I should get the ticket out and look at his name and look him up to see mm. what he's doing now. I, he was 14. He blew us away. So, yes. So, there you go. So, we uh, we continued to date. And we dated for uh, two years. A year and a half all in. year and a half dating. And it was about six months. So, it was two years all, all in. Yep. You asked me to marry you on my 19th birthday. Yep. That's fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you took me on a dinner cruise down in Tampa in the Intercoastal Way. Mm -hmm. Everybody else there was about 40 years older than we were. At least. At least. <laughs> At least. It was really funny. <laughs> it, was, it was so sweet, though. It was fun. It was so fun. So we did the dinner cruise, and then you wanted to propose to me in a special way. Mm-hmm. Down at, if you're ever in Florida uh, near St. Pete, it's Indian Rocks Beach, actually. So if you go down to Indian Rocks Beach, you go out to, uh, like, where all the hotels and are, all are, there's a pier. So I wanted to go where there was an old pier that had been taken down, and there were just these... <laughs> posts left from the pier and I thought oh that's a perfect spot we'll go there and that's where I'll propose right and we'll have this landmark you know so I had this all figured out I had a a killer tweed jacket on you know sport coat and in all. Florida in Florida yeah this was you know smart it's 95 <clears throat> degrees and 100% humidity yeah I uh and you wore the jacket because of the Right, yeah. Well, she's about to give it away. So, yeah, I had to wear a jacket because I had not only the ring hidden inside of it, but I also had a little Instamatic camera. Yes, Instamatic, I said that. So if you're, you know, not born in like the 70s, 80s, you probably have no idea what I just told you. But anyway, yeah, so I had all this stuff in my jacket. So, so anyway, so we get out of the beach and we start walking uh, north. And I, I knew I had to go north a little bit. What I didn't realize is that, yeah, down at the beach, there's, you know, the different parking lots. Well, <laughs> I parked in the one that was, like, two miles south of where I thought it was. So we start walking, walking on the beach, and it's dark out, and, you know, moon's out. It's beautiful, but it's hot and humid. And there's no pier. And I keep walking, and I keep walking. There's still no pier. And I'm small talk, small talk, small talk. Still no pier. It's so hot, and we've been walking forever. And I was like, you good? I'm, I'm good. She just wanted to, like, like... Well, just, just, a little, just a little bit longer. A little, <laughs> little further. Dragging just, just, me up and down just, the beach. There's this, there's this spot. I think it's really... Let me show you. And finally, I see it. And I'm like, the angels are singing. I'm like, finally, I found this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so walked you over to where these old pillars were from the pier and knelt down and asked you to marry me and thank goodness you said yes. I did. And then I pulled out all the stuff, all the other things in my pocket, like the camera. I took a picture, 
mm-hmm. of us, and it was perfectly blurry, and because <laughs> of course it was nighttime. Those things with the flash and all that weird, they do not take good night pictures. Mm-hmm. But hey, you can kind of see your hand, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see the ring, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it captured so the moment. That. And then we drove to IHOP, which was open 24 hours at that point. Yeah. There's just, you know, for you, honey, there's nothing too good for you. <laughs> After, you know, I would have taken you to Waffle House, <laughs> but there wasn't one. This so, was the deluxe version. Yeah, I, I took it. Yeah. You sprung I, I, for IHOP. Well, actually, in my book, IHOP's a step down from Waffle House, well. but that's another story. Um, <laughs> the religious debate. It yeah, was the only 24-hour thing, and we weren't, like, like we were so hyped up and so excited. We weren't ready to just be like, well, good night. No. So we went there and got, you know, pancakes and talked about wedding plans, like, yeah. you know, just fun stuff. And uh, that was a great, that was a really great night. And, uh, yeah, we planned the wedding and got married on St. Patrick's Day. Yes, which is coming right up. And everyone said, oh, is your wedding going to be green? And we're like, no. no. I am Irish. My my dad's side is, is 100% Irish, but that's that not why nothing, we did it. Nothing to do with it. No, we, at that time, uh, of course, I was out of the Air Force by then. I was working full-time as a as a simulator technician uh, for the Air Force on the F-16. But I was also um, going to school part-time at night and every every spare moment I had I was going to college at the same time so but both of us had spring break that week mm-hmm. so it was like well I guess it's going to be mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day it happened to be Saturday that week or that year so uh so there you have it and no one believed me we got back to school like because you were working full-time and going to school full-time and I was going to school full-time and working part-time and we were paying our way our own way through yes every penny yes and that's why you joined the Air Force was to get the the veteran assistant program and you had to take a loan from your granddad even to do that so the Air Force would match it and you had to pay him back with interest yep and it took very grateful yes eight years to get your degree Took me four to get mine, and yeah, so we we just were working and going to school. So um, so we came back after spring break, and everyone's like, "What'd you do for spring break?" And people are like, "Oh, I went to Daytona or whatever." And I said, "Hey, I got married." And they're like, "No, you didn't." I mean, I was nineteen, so I had to show them my rings mm-hmm. when I showed. They were like, "What?" And everyone was like, "You're crazy." <laughs> I was like, "Maybe, but crazy in love." So. <laughs> we didn't just get married. We got married, and we went on a honeymoon to the Bahamas. Yep. And then came back, and yep. uh, so it's like, yeah, we had quite the none of this like, oh, we went to Myrtle Beach or you know, or mm. went to Fort Lauderdale. No, we we went and got married and had a honeymoon in the Bahamas, and it was fantastic. We came home to a one bedroom apartment. That, yep. That uh, with a uh, used mattress that. Oh my gosh. Remember that? Bought my boss's used mattress. What was I thinking? That was pretty disgusting, I think back about it. Ugh. Okay. Many many things wrong with that. <laughs> it's a used mattress, first of all, which is like, kind of nasty. Like well loved, not new yeah. at all. And then second of all, which is probably the creepiest part of it, it was your boss's mattress. My male boss. I'm like, I know. That's what you do when you're desperate. We I guess. had no money. 
No like, money. Our furniture in, the, in our tiny little living room was just given to us out of pity by, like, we had my granddad's old I recliner, remember, yeah. which was, like, really scratchy, but I was so grateful for it. And then two friends of ours sold us their couch for, like, 50 bucks. And, I mean, it was the most hodgepodge thing. So our big member, we'll, we'll wrap it up with this part, but remember what we did as soon as we got home from the honeymoon? And oh, we, yes. You, 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 uh, you carried me over the threshold mm-hmm. into the apartment for the first time, and then we went directly across the street across to street service to merchandise. Service merchandise, yes. And we was bought... It? Or was it Circus City? <gasps> Wait, what? what I can't remember. No, it was service merchandise. I think it was. It was service it was, merchandise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we walk across the street, which... A six-lane highway. Like, yeah, taking your life into your hands. This is... If you guys know Tampa at all, it's Dale Mabry is the main north-south corridor that goes all the way to the southern tip of McDill Air Force Base, all the way north up until... Kingdom come. Yeah, forever. And, um... It's by the stadium. So, yeah, we thought, I don't know what we were thinking, frankly, in <laughs> hindsight. I go, so we walk over there, and we got to get a TV. I think at the in, we were thinking, like, well, we'll go look. Yeah. We probably won't buy one. We'll go look. So we walked over there, again, save gas. Which it was like, you know, a quarter of a cup of gasoline. <laughs> so we walk over there and we looking for a TV and we found one and it was on this crazy good deal. We're like, we, we better get this now. A 19 inch color TV. Yes. No, they didn't have remotes then. No, still no remote. No remote, but it was a 19 inch color. And Tube. it was the big fat TV. Yeah. The fat like weighs as much as a CRT, car TV. Cathode ray tube. It's basically a giant piece of glass. Mm-hmm weighed a ton so we said all right let's buy it so we bought it and we go how are we gonna get this back we go, well we'll just carry it and oh my gosh it was so heavy it's just a giant box that we so, had to run across the highway with not the not brightest, one of our smartest, brightest move but we got it over and frankly didn't need to do any more exercise that day no that was that good was our good. cardio was well met yeah. that was like the time once we bought our first house we went down to Pace, which is what would be more like a, a, like a Costco, Costco now or yeah. a BJ's or something. And I bought a bike, and we could we didn't have a way to get it home, so I just rode the bike home on Dale Mabry Highway for miles until yeah, like it was, it was miles. It was it was probably like, almost ten mile bike ride on death defying roads. On yeah, like. But we just didn't, we didn't know. Like, we just were like, well, we don't have a way to get the bike home. So I was right home. And you drove along in the pace car. (laughs) So, you know, it was all good. And so, yeah, we started off, we we were so excited with all this furniture that, you know, nothing even remotely matched. And and it was all very old. We were so happy and so content and so grateful. And we had this shiny TV, which was just amazing it was. so it was a great start so this is where we're at now and so that's a little bit about all that there's more more stories out of all that if, if anyone cares but um so we'll start our version of the newlywed game <laughs> where we'll pick our topics and these again these are topics that we sat down together and came up with about what have we learned a look back over 33 years and just remember, you know, if you embarrass me too much, you, there's still a couch here. <laughs> so you can, yeah. 
I'm kidding. It's gonna happen. We're gonna, <laughs> we promised friendly fire, but it's <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's gonna all be you know real and uh, from the heart. So, all right. So we're we're pulling these topics blind that that we made. Yes, so we, we don't wrote know. them all out. We cut them up in little pieces of paper and we've got them on the side and we're gonna go. It's like a lottery. Pick them. Okay, let's one do time. it. You ready for the first one? Sure. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. So this one, uh, we said that to keep a marriage strong and healthy, what? I was going to say, can I read it too? I was going to read out loud. Oh, okay. go ahead. You want to see it? Maybe. Okay. It says, I'm going <laughs> to lean into it. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> it says, uh, setting and realizing your vision and goals together. Ah, setting and realizing vision and goals yeah, that's a good one. That's really, it's so important because, I mean, we just talked about our story of how we met, how we dated and got married and got our first apartment and all that kind of good stuff. But, um, but even now, the ironic thing is we're 33 years in now and we're having this very conversation again now because we're kind of once again empty nesters and we're looking at a whole new chapter in life in front of us and asking, gosh, what is our new purpose what do we want the next two years three years five ten twenty hopefully a lot more years to look like and we've got all the vision and goals that we've set up but the point is is like this is not something you just do once you talk about those visions you talk about those goals that you want for your lives and they grow and they change from the early days when you're dating to when you're 33 years of marriage in they change, they evolve, but um, but the point is, it can be a lot of fun, uh, can be a little stressful, but it's critically important to have those visions and to have those uh, kind of north star that we can both look forward to. It's a great grounder, especially when some of these other topics we'll probably get into, when things get a little dicey, it's great to have that, okay, what's the goal? What's the end goal here? What's the vision for our lives together, our families together? And having that as our, our North Star is just absolutely critical. I remember, it may not have been the first time, but I this is the first big shift in our vision that I remember is when you and I came to a crossroads with our education. Because when we got married, mm. we were like, oh, we're both going to get our master's for sure, for sure. And... When it came time to make that decision, we were like, well, we could either start our master's program or we could start a family. Mm -hmm. And we chose to start a family. And we thought, well, you know, we can always go back and get our master's later. And that is something that neither one of us chose to do. I mean, you double majored, so, like, I feel like you, you got the equivalent, you know, of a master's. But, mm. um, but yeah, it, and, and it's all good. It's okay. Like, I'm so glad with that decision that we chose to start our family instead. Um, mm. Nothing at all wrong with continuing education. And who knows? Maybe in my empty nesting years, I will go get that master's, <laughs> you know? But at the time, we were kind of at this crux of, like, where where are we going for the next whatever years? And we just knew it was time. And so child number one came along, who now will be 27 this year. And I don't regret 
that for a minute, but that was a decision we kind of had to make together. And uh, yeah, we worked really well on that one. And I really think it's important to just be fluid with the creativity of how to meet these goals. What can they look like? If they change or if for some reason some outside force keeps them from happening, to remember you're on the same team. And we're not, it's not like, I want my way and you're just going to have to deal with it. It's like, no, this is our marriage, our life, and we're going to have to deal with Mm -hmm. it. Of course, we each have our own visions and goals for our, our work or our purpose in life individually. But I believe that it's more important that we focus on the vision and goals that we have as a couple together first. So in other words, I've turned down countless job opportunities that would have served me well as an individual, even as an individual married and with children would have been great, but wouldn't have served us well together as a couple and would not have contributed to our goal. It would have met my goal, but it wouldn't have served our goal. So that's when I decided to say no to that part of my vision for what I would like to do and instead said yes to our goal. And one of those things that we made as our goal is that I would stay home with the kids. Mm -hmm. Did that mean I needed to give up the idea of having, you know, a career? Yeah. I know plenty of moms who work outside the home, work inside the home, do both. It's all great. It's all good. I, I support women and how they need to do things. But for our family, that's what we wanted. And I was happy to make that sacrifice of a career. Mm-hmm. Don't regret that for a minute at all. And just cherish every single moment that I got to have with the kids. Mm-hmm. Because, man, when they grow and leave, it's like really quiet in this house. Yeah. <laughs> that was key. We wanted... I guess that gets back to the whole idea of creating that vision together is we wanted to give that experience to our children and oh by the way to us too. We got the benefit of that. Is mm-hmm. you know, simple things we would sit around and just daydream about. Gosh, you know what it's gonna be like when our kids come, you know, back from school, they get out of school, they get off the bus, they walk from wherever they are, you know, and then they come home and you know, you've got maybe a snack ready for them. You're there to listen to their day, to listen to their ups, their downs. You get them started a homework, um, after school program, play, what, what have you. It, but simply making sure that you were there. You know, that was the dream you had your whole life was to say, mm-hmm. gosh, I always wanted to be uh, a mom. You know, your most prized job would be to that and I really wanted to make sure that happened for you yeah I uh, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up I would tell you two things I wanted to be a writer and a National Geographic photographer and writing photography is just in my blood and I am a published writer now which I'm very grateful for um, and I love the photography opportunities I've gotten to have all over the world but 
it always came back to wanting to be a mom first. That was always number one. And I think it goes back to my mom. Uh, she got divorced when I was uh, to her second husband, the first one when I was one, and then the second one when I was 12. So um, I went from knowing what it was like to have her there in the afternoons and stuff like that when I was in elementary school to then her working full time from 12 on uh, when I was 12 until she passed away when I was 16. And I just really loved coming home, knowing that she was gonna be there and she would have either guiding light or as the world turns on. <laughs> I don't know, I just, I'm a homebody and I love tending the nest and I love nurturing and caring for and I'm grateful that you worked as hard as you did to make a way for us to do that. It required some sacrifices. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you know? without a doubt. But stuff doesn't matter to us. It never has. It never will. So really grateful. And again, there's there's so many ways to do fantastic parenting and it looks different for every family. For us, this is what we wanted. And don't regret that for a minute. So yeah, got to keep those, mm-hmm. got to set a goal because, okay, in our house, there's a very bad word and it begins with an F. And it if has to do with a certain <laughs> type of fish. If you drop this F word in our home, it's a, it's a bad day and that would be flounder. flounder. I can't handle floundering. I can't handle it. it now grouper, grouper's fine. <laughs> no. No flounder. <laughs> Nothing puts me in a bad mood faster than that moment I realize we're floundering. Whether it just be a Saturday morning when there's like, is there a plan for today? I don't know. Now, we can have no plan and that's fine. If we just go, today, there's no plan. Okay, fine. But this like, let's go hour to hour and five hours later, are we doing something? I don't know. Do you want to do something? I don't know. Oh my word. I come undone. So... I need plans. I need structure. Even if the plan is to do nothing, I don't need to be busy all the time. But God, have a plan, and that's communicate that plan. So we cannot flounder <laughs> because I'm terrible to be around <laughs> if we do. I'm just mean and mad. So yeah, having goals, envisioning, dreaming together, and then coming up with ways and to to make those happen. That's important. All right, your turn to pull one. Okay, next one. Mm, this one is respect. Mm, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Yes. This is a good one. <laughs> you want to so, start? <laughs> you know, and actually this is something that I, I can't remember if it was, might have been a premarital counseling maybe when it was one of the first times where it was like when you're in public, say you're at a dinner party or something like that, do not bad talk your spouse in public. Like, don't just go, oh, he's such a slob, or wow, her, she doesn't know how to cook, or whatever. You know, you just do not do that in public. It's simple stuff like that, but that I think that was the first time I was like, oh, okay, that's what you do in a marriage. <laughs> this is the type of thing that you don't do in a marriage. Wow, I got a lot to learn. Because... Uh, you know, I grew up in the north. It's like we kind of, we talk with our hands. We talk kind of fast. And I married a southerner, so I had to learn how to slow my words down. Not raise my voice quite as much. And maybe not talk with my hands. 
But the day that you finally used the word y'all in casual conversation, I'll never forget. I was like, yes, he's come to my side. <laughs> sounded kind of weird. It was very, it was like, y'all. <laughs> no draw to it at all. But anyway, um, but yeah, just respect, respecting each other, be kind. Sounds simple, but it, it's more that it can become incredibly toxic and hard to recover from when you do these types of things and I just stop it's kind of the golden rule and think okay if I'm saying xyz about Christy would I want her to say that about me in public and not save it and rather than saving it for private some things you need to not say ever I uh, just put that out there but but sometimes yeah just just don't do that that's just kind decency and respect honestly it's I see that a lot with folks that say, wow, would you speak about your colleague that way? Never. You know, would you speak about the cash register person, you know, that you just had at Harris Teeter? Of course not. But yet you'd speak that way about your spouse. And that's like, mm. And for me, I had to, this was a big one for me. I had to completely learn what this meant because we're keeping it real here and... I came from a background where men were not respected. Now, my granddad was. He was great. Yeah, totally. But my mom's second marriage ended very badly, and men were the butt of all jokes. And male bashing was not only done, but encouraged. (laughs) So I just thought that's what you do. And... When I married you, I did that. I would do the whole, like, you know, male bashing thing in in jest. But it's when I started realizing you didn't think that was funny. And you went from not thinking that was funny to, like, getting hurt. And then hurt came went into getting mad. And then that went into many arguments with me. And I remember the aha moment where I was like, oh, I don't think I can, I don't think he's going to, I don't think I can get away with this. Like, <laughs> I, it was kind of a weird dichotomy because it was so normal for me, just in my background. It was so normal that all men are jerks, you know, men are stupid, men are all these things. And... I had to completely, not just retrain how I spoke, but how I thought. I mean, I really, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of men in my life that, that were well, worthy a lot of, of a lot of respect, honestly, you know? Well, that's what I was going to say is, I didn't know it at the time. Obviously, I, well, I, I certainly didn't appreciate the full extent of it in the early years of even marriage. But I, I know now, clearly, that... Growing up, you did not have any good male role models at all. I mean, granddad was the only one, but he was your grandfather. So the, it was tough, you know, you're, you're, you just didn't have any good male role models. So with that, it was kind of expected and natural. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a thing. And, and it was also like, a lot of my mom's friends were single at the time. They were divorced as well. And so there was just these 
male hate fests going on mm -hmm. and that men were the root of all evil and it was just so incredibly normal so I didn't you know don't trust men the whole thing and I had to completely like deprogram rewrite the script in my brain when you came along and your dad came along love that man so much you guys were the first two men that you know outside of my granddad that I ever trusted ever mm. that I felt that they were worthy of trusting so yeah respect Outwardly, I had to change my tune really quick because it was causing a lot of damage between you and I. And so I, I learned early on that was not going to fly. <laughs> and then, um, talking about it privately, talk, how we talked to each other privately, just like in the house, there were times where I realized I was treating like friends or our kids, talking to them better than I would talk to you sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, like, cause, well, with your kids, you know, you're trying to set a good example. So you're trying to use your manners and, you know, say please and thank you. And, you know, just trying to always almost be on to, like, model, model, model. And with friends, it's like, you know, you just, everything's just a honeymoon with friends all the time. You know, it's like, oh, you know, love you, love you back, you know, kind of thing. And then, so it's like with, with your spouse, it's easy to just forget that they're a person, too. Mm -hmm. And so if you unload the dishwasher, hey, thanks for unloading the dishwasher, you know, mm -hmm. um, the manners and just how I speak to you. I caught myself lots of times and still do sometimes when I, when I realize, oh my word, <laughs> again, once again, I'm treating someone else better than I'm treating you. Mm -hmm. And so I have, to, and so I'm glad now that I'm, I, I listen for that and I catch myself. So I try to remember my manners because it can get, frankly, we can just kind of get comfortable and lazy, right? With the person we're married to because they're not going anywhere, right? So it's like, eh, kind of get comfortable and lazy. And that's, that is a bad spiral to go down. Yeah. And I would say you, everyone gets comfortable and everybody gets lazy. And there, there's a good side and a bad side to that. That's good is that. Well, we, we want some degree of comfort. I mean, we want a, a kind of a, a comfort, safe place in our marriage for sure. But you don't want to get complacent. And like you say, yeah, and we would call each other out on that, you know, from time to time. And and I welcome it now because I'm, heck, I may do it tomorrow where you, you're like, okay, if you would only speak to me the way you speak to, you know, whomever. I ever said you that. You know, yeah, once. <laughs> Uh, no, not twice, twice uh -huh. in 33 years. Uh -huh. That was it, yeah. Uh -huh. But, yeah, and that's, but that's part of that give and take and, you know, iron sharpening iron. It's a good thing. And but just remember, respect. we're people. We're people. We're not just husband and wife. We're, we're people. Yeah. And, and got to give that respect and dignity and manners and night to be nice, to be nice. No, not yeah. take each other for granted. And heaven forbid we actually act like our spouse is, in fact, more important than our friend. <laughs> right. Or our coworker yeah. or whoever, you know. It's our like, kids. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, R-E-S-P-C-T. <laughs> R-E-S-P-C-T is close enough. Close enough. Yes. All right. I'm going to pull one now. Here we go.
All right, this one says, oh, this, I will confess, was your topic you thought of. Ooh. Things that drive us crazy. Oh, this was one of my favorites. The what and the how to deal with them. <laughs> Since it was your topic, why don't you go first? Things that just drive me crazy. Let that me... I do or say. Yes. Or Thing... who I am. <laughs> Things that drive me crazy. Oh, let me count the ways. <laughs> Bring it. No. Um, I, I've thought about a, a, a number of these kind of things and... Yeah, <laughs> she just gave me the uh, side eye there. A number. <laughs> video. Well, maybe just pick the first five for tonight. Um, so I got my spreadsheet out and I <laughs> matrixed, analyzed them, <laughs> got them down to a short list of five. And no, the, actually, so the first thing just kind of can't pop to my mind. So there's always things that about each of us, you know, that are going to drive each other crazy. I mean, there's plenty. I can, I can name off. The funny thing is we both know what they are. It's like I can name off exactly what those things are that I know that I do that drive her crazy and vice versa. So the one that can't, kind of popped to my mind, and it's not that it was the most egregious or anything. It just, for whatever reason, it popped to my mind when this topic came up. And I thought, you know what? So here's the, here's the let, let me tell you a little story. We're going out to dinner, right? We're just going to go out to dinner, have a nice meal. And uh, let's say it's a Mexican place, right? We just went out to, for Mexican. So we sit down at the Mexican restaurant and we start looking at the menu and, you know, we're ordering and I'm about to order. And then, so waitress comes over and, and I say, okay, I'd like to have a you know, steak fajita. And uh, yeah, sounds good. Refried beans. And I'm done. And then it's time for Christy. <laughs> and she says, okay. I think I would like the um, the burrito, but instead of a beef burrito, could you put chicken in there instead? And oh, instead of the the sautéed onions and the peppers, could you put instead take those out? Mushrooms, and I don't want any lettuce. Could you put extra guacamole? And oh, and the that flour tortilla that burritos burritos normally come in, just leave that off completely. <laughs> And could you put it in a bed of lettuce? And I'm like going, okay, lady, you just basically made up a salad that doesn't even exist anywhere on the menu. You're calling it a burrito. And? <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. Who's eating it? <laughs> well, and that's what I had to come to realize. It took me a while to say, you know what? What is it hurting? She can order whatever she wants to order, however she wants to order. But it would drive me crazy. Meanwhile, I'm like hungry. I'm like, can you just order already? You know, but, uh, <laughs> and it would drive me nuts. And I'm like, what the, well, fast forward, what I learned about myself was, okay, that drives me crazy. Why? It had nothing to do with her. Because if it was somebody else sitting across the table, uh, I'd probably get annoyed with them. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But the point is, I had to ask myself, what is it about me that can't let this person that I love order whatever food she wants? And it was, I don't, I still don't quite know why, but what I had to do was just realize is that it really doesn't matter. Let her order whatever she wants. And now it's kind of cute, you know, and I just kind of chuckle and laugh. It's cute and you because... Know, you know why? Why? They never get it right. 
They, no, never. It's like you're laughing inside. And then she's always like so frustrated. I can't believe they never get my dish right. I go, well, honey, maybe I'm thinking in my head. Of course, I didn't say this out loud. I try not to. Maybe it's because you just invented a dish that's more complex that any chef could possibly handle. You know, this is not like... It's true. So No matter what restaurant, it it does not matter. It could be fast food to five star. It doesn't matter. It's always wrong. There are ingredients that they don't even have in the restaurant, (laughs) right? They're like sending people down to the fresh market to get the ingredients to bring them back. They're literally slaughtering cows in the back. They don't even have beef on the menu. Ordering is a serious decision because it's this one meal that your calories hang on and it's like and you don't want to be disappointed because it's your it's the one time you get to do this it feels like and like you just want to have the best experience so there's a lot goes into it Uh, meanwhile I'm like I go into a restaurant this is what I do with every, every restaurant that I go into the first time I go like okay what's your signature dish whatever it is that's what I'm getting. Doesn't matter. Could be anything. For me, it's part of the adventure. You know? So you can tell we're a little bit different when it comes oh, we are all opposite when it comes to food. But uh, in every area. So that's just one example of things that drive you crazy. But I guess the moral of the story is I had to just after about thirty two years, I finally said <laughs> I broke you. Really, I finally broke you. <laughs> does it really matter? Can I let it go? And, you know, it's more like I didn't just change overnight, but over time it got to bug me less and less. And now it's just kind of like, all right, well, let's see what they get wrong this time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so a little true. game. It's kind of like, it's, it, yeah. it's like it's life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get in Christie's dish. <laughs> I shouldn't make it so hard. Yeah. Oh, well. So okay. if well, you're a waiter or waitress and you see her coming... Run. <laughs> but I'm so grateful that they try. Yeah, they do. I think I'm a good sport about it, at You're least. You're not great. I, most of the time, I just let it go. Or I'll just kind of nicely say, hey, maybe could you bring a side of... I think that was supposed to be, you know... I'm always nice about it. Absolutely. But you got your phone out. So you got... <laughs> I wrote notes. A long list <laughs> of the things that I... I will only that, mention... That drive you crazy. Okay. Three. Whoa. <laughs> do you want to mention I two more? One. You could do two more, man. Uh, I could take it. I gotta pull up my spreadsheet. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's no. just that I'm that perfect that you can only come up with one. Exactly. Yeah. You go right ahead. Okay. So uh, I'll start with one that is now fixed. For the first mm. uh, twenty-two years of our marriage. You're snoring. I was sleep deprived for 22 years. Oh. I never had a night's sleep. I mean, you wake the dead with your sleeping. And it wasn't until I absolutely begged you and actually went ahead and scheduled you an appointment with a sleep doctor who then you did the sleep study. And now you are a happy CPAP wearer and, and mm-hmm. I'm a happy sleeper. But seriously, when you don't get good sleep, nothing goes right the next day. And so for two decades, yeah, I, well, I was sleep deprived. That, but that, you know, that was a, a, a physical issue that we could fix. Irony, the year you started wearing that and you stopped snoring, Precious, our dog, 
was getting up from years and she started snoring. Mm. So I remember tra- I remember laying there trading snoring for snoring going this is my lot in life because there's no <laughs> way we used to want to put a puppy pap on her but you know yep. you can't do that on Havanese. So for the last like oh gosh she snored for like five years. No, it was like right? seven years. Yeah. She snored. Yeah, all, what, 11 pounds? She was 13, 12, 13 pounds, pounds, and yeah. she could rattle the windows. And anyway, so that's that's something I that... I slept right through it. She didn't bother me. I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned it because, I mean, there's so many commercials about, you know, adjustable beds and things you can put in your throat yeah, it's and a bunch of breathe strips and... The, Sleeping is a big deal. Yeah. Snoring is a big deal. So okay. we're happy that one got fixed. That's easy. I'm still trying to retrain you on <laughs> licking your fingers when you when eat. I'm eating? I just, it's a difference of, of how we were raised. Like, I was raised wow. to never lick your fingers. I did that at JJ Red Hots yesterday. You did? <laughs> you did. I stopped halfway through. I don't know if you don't remember that. It's did you pro- realize that? I, I did. I was I was a little cold. I was trying not to just think about how cold I was. We ate we ate outside, so. I mean, it's a hot dog loaded with all kinds of. I mean, it was just like all over your it hands. It was delicious. It was delicious, and to that point, <laughs> you have this deliciousness on your fingers, and it's like, so instead you take a napkin, you wipe your hands, and all that yummy goes away. Okay. It's, okay, it's, but there's two parts to you licking your fingers. There's one when you lick your fingers when you're eating food, and the other one is when you're like, you're like you you have your it's a condiment jar or something, and like you you run your finger around the jar lid and then like lick it, and it's disgusting. And I'm like, nobody <laughs> else wants to use that after you. Well, no, my DNA my, is like all over no, it. My hands are clean. Just don't like put your finger. So, it, and so this, instead, the, you just lip, put the lid on and it gets all nasty around. No, you take a wet paper towel and you wipe it uh-huh. off. So I was raised to not be a finger licker, and you uh-huh. were. And that is something that the whole, like, smacking thing is just <laughs> like, I just want to, mm, I could just, oh. So anyway, working on that one. But the one that's actually caused fights is Uh-oh. is interrupting. <laughs> You're not gonna say a word. So again, I think it's just a personality style, and I once again was raised that, and you used to bring this. You would like throw mm. it back at me in an argument that I was raised that everyone took a turn talking, and whether at the table or whatever, and you're it's this very humane, you know, sort of regulated conversation where everyone gets their turn and you get to talk and. All of that, and you—you you were kind of like that. My big fat Greek wedding family, where it's like, wah, and that was a really big wrinkle to iron out in us. Would you agree? Oh, without a doubt, it's still. It, it, honestly, I think this is one of those. This is the other thing you got to think about in your relationship is that there's some things that are just never gonna ever get solved, and this is one of those that I can only get incrementally better at so here's the thing i grew up in a big family you have four kids family of six and frankly if i used to call it i still do i call it the walkie talkie mode <laughs> if everyone has the microphone at one time they click the mic they talk and then it's, and then 
there's a quiet spot. And then the next person begins speaking. Okay, I would never have the opportunity to say anything growing up as a kid. Well, you tell them you were one of how many siblings? Yeah, one of four kids. Three of them were boys. Yeah, and... And I and, was and one then, of two. I had a sister. And a big extended family, too. So when the cousins all got together, it was seven kids total, four adults. And, you know, it, it, fact of the matter, it's still New York. And, you know, we kind of fast talk and... We talk over each other, and for us, culturally, it's a conversation, not series of monologues, and that's just different, you know? So we just, we had to find uh, kind of a common ground, and I had to learn how to pause, because, man, I remember a couple times in the early days, sitting down, having dinner with uh, grands, with, you know, Mm -hmm. granddad and grandma Mal, and... Uh, and the two of us, and we're talking, and I would say something. I would just kind of interject at the, t- you know, someone's saying something, and they're kind of finishing their sentence, or the, they're finishing the last syllable of the word that they said, and then you start talking, like, over the top of the last syllable, literally. And it was like, the room got quiet fast. And it, everyone looked at me like, and I'm like, what, what just happened? I have no idea what just happened. And I just keep going. They come to realize it's like okay, they're looking at me strange because I just spoke over the top of Granddad, and that was not something you do. Well, remember, like we were missing an entire generation, which mm-hmm. would have been my parents weren't there. In the middle, right. So it was my grandparents, me, and growing up, it was the two of them, my mom, my sister, and I. That was it. I mean, mm-hmm. like Easter dinner would be going to their house and having the dinner, and then my mom because you know she was worn out she would go take a a nap on the couch and I had to play literally in silence on the carpet so I didn't wake her up that was Easter after church of course but like and then you guys had seven cousins all together 50 million dogs and lots of adults and so you I understand I I have learned to appreciate that to say anything in your family, you had to say it loud and you had to say it over someone else. I, I get that. Um, I grew up with that would be rude, just rude, and I did not understand that. Um, but also, I think my grandparents were coming from a different generation, too. Like, the things were just done differently. They were probably more Southern proper, you know, like, <laughs> tell on him. But my grandparents had this thing where at... At mealtime, if uh, if his glass got empty, he would just shake it a little bit so the ice cubes rattled, and that meant my grandmother needed to get up and go refill his drink. And so it, just, it was a very different time. Different time. And so yes, you and I struggled lots. That's a nice way of saying you and I had lots of arguments about how we are going to speak to one another mm-hmm. because I would get so tired of what I considered your rudeness that I would just stop talking and that was never good because that that (laughs) that was never good Mm -hmm. (laughs) because then I was like a steel trap I'm like I'm done no go ahead let's just hear what you have to say and it's just not a good day with all of that so I think we have chilled out a lot both of us have Mm -hmm. I think we've come a long way more of a happy medium I think Uh, Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And I, I now, and honestly, I would have to say that I needed to change more than you on that one. You know, where uh, 
you know, you're you're more right in that. Yeah, it's not a good idea to speak over the top of other people. It it can be rude. So and what I just learned, sometimes I don't have to always be heard. So from the from the other person's point of view, when they're speaking before they're being spoken over, it can be construed as um, you're not even letting me finish my thought because what you're going to say or a question you may ask might be a moot point if I could just finish my sentence. And then it's the other, also the other thought of, wow, so what I'm saying is not nearly as important as what you're saying because now you're just going to talk over me like I'm not speaking at all. And so that's, you know, for me, that's a hot button. I don't like to feel like um, what I'm saying is not valued or important. So yeah, we, <laughs> this has been a hard one, mm. but I think we really are getting a lot better at it. I'm learning how, how are we getting better? So I'm learning to not be quite so sensitive. Like I don't go from zero to 60 in my anger. <laughs> I, I slow roll it <laughs> and I, and now I'll say, I'll say things like, can I just finish my sentence or you're interrupting <laughs> or I'm going to finish my sentence, you know, <laughs> or I'll just stop talking and give you a look that's saying you're doing it again, you know, so those are the ways, and, um, instead of saying, okay, now it's an official argument, I, I don't want that, that's not what I want, so I will try to stop that train from derailing both in me by going, okay, Christy, don't, don't go nuts, like, right off the bat with this, just understand Talk, just tell him. Tell him mm -hmm. he's not listening or you know, tell you tell him how you feel. Like when you talk over me, you're not listening, there are some feelings, that whole thing. So this has been one that's been not super fun, but I think it's made both of us probably grow as people. Would mm -hmm. you agree? Yeah, yeah. It's the idea of active listening, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things you taught me as well is uh, is saying, okay. Did you even hear what I had to say, or were or were you just thinking about your next response while I was talking? Mm -hmm. And I, to that, of course, I said, "Of course, I would never do that." <laughs> but no, often I was doing exactly that. Is I know you're saying? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead and finish. <laughs> you would be. Uh, Saying something, and yeah, I'd be thinking about what's my next rebuttal, and not even necessarily hearing what you say, and then you'd quiz me. That was the funniest part. You'd be like, okay, what did I just say exactly? And I would go, uh. Because <laughs> I literally would have no earthly idea. Because I was thinking about what I'm going to say next while you were speaking. That is kind of rude. That's really rude. Yeah. And frankly, uh, men... It's stupid, too. I'm just saying. <laughs> it does not work because you're going to get busted. <laughs> yeah, it's, it it goes back to treating the spouse like a person first and back to the manners thing. So, like, where you say the walkie-talkie mode, I get that. But I also know that, you know, a lot of times um, by me letting the person get their full train of thought out, a lot of times there'll be a plot twist at the end that I didn't see coming, and I'm really glad that I didn't just jump in and hijack. I call it hijacking. <laughs> Walkie-talkie versus hijacking. 
because mm. I, I'm really glad that like I didn't say anything because it that last bit is like where the juice is and it's like oh now I need to think about that for a minute and and so beyond it being like a courteous respectful manners thing it's a lot about letting the person finish the thought and that can be really helpful because if it's in like a borderline argument because someone's getting angry about something let the person like finish what they're saying before something is taken out of context mm-hmm. and and that doesn't lead anywhere good so yeah i'm still a believer in letting people finish their sentences <laughs> but i also know that there's times that you do have to jump in and talk over like social things like that i get that well when i'm with your family <laughs> We have to like. I have to. I have to put myself more interjecting yeah. than I'm comfortable with. With I'm kidding about your family because no, <laughs> no, you're not. Well, I'm just saying. Like, and it's you shouldn't because <laughs> I I know that I love my family too, but I know that that if I want to have my voice heard, sometimes I gotta kind of step on the tail end of somebody else's sentence. Otherwise, I'm never getting a word in. Mm-hmm. And it's in doing that has helped me be more self-assertive for sure socially, mm-hmm. which I struggle with. So, being in those situations where you have to do that or just don't bother trying to say anything, it's a good exercise. It's a fun activity to do that where um, it's a personal growth moment to to interject because that's not my nature. It's okay sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of like offensive and defensive driving. This is definitely offensive driving. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So let's hit another one. Go for it. No, that's you. You now. Oh, it's mine. Yes. Let's see. One right in the middle. Let's see what this one is. Ooh, good one. Work-life balance. All right. Another good. Where do you want to put that? Oh, put it over there. All right. Work-life balance. Uh, 33 years have led us to this point of work-life balance. It's a constant thing, too. It's, uh, man, I, I just kind of, I mean, how many times? It was like a daily balancing act for me. You know, having, as you guys heard, where I was the primary breadwinner, and, you know, it, it'd be really, really easy to just say, well, I've, I've got to do this for the, provide for the family. I've got to do X, got to do Y. But find that work-life balance. So for me, a lot of the times it was knowing my non-negotiables, knowing those things where I'm just, there's just no way. Like they can fire me first before I miss my daughter's first ballet recital. Not going to happen, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. But I, I had to set those ahead of time. Like what are those things? What's important to me uh, with my family? And where am I going to say, no, absolutely not. And there are times when you should say no, even though economically it would be really good, is finding that balance. And for me, the balance is always going to be uh, on the side of family first, period. And one way that you have always done that so, so well is we had a, a one of our uh, non-negotiables when we um, decided to start having a family. And even before then, when it was, you and I were married six years before we had our first child, is we've always had dinner together. Mm-hmm. but And we knew that was always important. But when kids came along, and that meant we were being pulled in all kinds of directions, you know, whether it's their activities or, you know, your work or whatever. 
it could be so easy to let that one go. And we absolutely dug in and said, no, we're doing family together meal, family dinner together, period. Mm -hmm. And we did that 99% of the time, Mm -hmm. unless you were like on a travel thing for work. We ate dinner together. And I know that you gave up a lot to make that happen. I know you gave up dinners with your boss or whatever that you could have done extra after work to kind of climb the ladder, whatever. And you gave all that up so you would be home. And I always appreciated that about you because I knew there was a work cost to you for that. (laughs) I'm going to tell myself for a minute because I, uh, for reasons we'll explain later, I had a lot of anxiety, an unusual amount of anxiety my whole life up until a couple of years ago, and I struggled with it a lot, and I was overwhelmed with three kids. <laughs> it was like, even when you were there, it was like three against two, you know, it was just, we were always outnumbered, and when you were working, it was three against one. So there was one time where, I mean, I, I, I just, my anxiety, it's not that, I mean, our kids were great, they were great, but our, but it was me who, like, struggled with juggling it all and Hmm. I needed you home from work as fast as possible Mm -hmm. and there was one time where you left a message on our voice message machine back when we had those at the house the little cassette yes (laughs) and I had been out I think I ran to the grocery store with the kids or something like that came home and I played it and man was it because I think if I had gotten that call live from you I wouldn't have heard it like I would have heard I would have listened to you but I wouldn't have heard what I heard in the message and where you were working uptown and you had to like park in what I guess you called it the dust bowl because that was the cheap parking Mm -hmm. which meant you had to walk over the bridge and Mm -hmm. it's quite a ways to your car because it's what we could afford the parking and your message was like I'm gonna I won't do it justice but I'll try to be like you're like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm running across the bridge now. I'm almost to the car, and I'll be home, and I'll be home soon. I'm really, really sorry. I tried to get out as fast as I could, but I couldn't help it. I'm running late today. I'm really sorry. I'm on my way. And you were just, I mean, you were completely exasperated. And I listened to that and actually replayed it again. And I was like, what have I done to him? I have made him a neurotic mess. And... I felt really bad about that. Mm. And I tried after that to not put so much pressure on you. I tried. Um, again, my anxiety was just out of control, just in, inside. I would never let it show on the outside, but it was eating me from the inside out. And um, and I, I was like, wow, that's I, another person should never have to feel like that. So I, I'm glad that that happened that day because that was a game changer for me in this. I was like, oh, I need to, I need to stop right now, whatever I'm doing <laughs> to make him be like that because he's going to have a heart attack before he's 50. I appreciated the work-life balance that you worked so hard for. You gave up so many promotions and such cool jobs for the sake of being there for the kids because you never missed. 
you never missed anything. Mm. Whether it was sports or fine arts or something at school, mm-hmm. you, you were there 100% of the time. I can't think of one single time that you missed. Work-life balance. Yeah, and you had fun on the weekends. Like, we all would rally. We'd all go to the rec soccer game, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it was. And like football or what have you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have changed any of it for a minute because, uh, especially now, at the time, it would have been really easy. But I wouldn't, obviously, looking back, it's easy to say that. You know, no one ever on their deathbed says, man, I wish I spent more time at work. Uh, never. It's always a, gosh, I wish I had more time with my family still. So I don't, I don't regret it at all. But I think what it really taught us was to intentionally discuss and measure the, the cost and the benefit of things like work-life balance. Well, what does a work-life balance look like? Well, let's talk about it. So we did. And we thought, well, what's important, really, really important? Maybe it was Hey, we always want to have breakfast in the morning or hey, we always whatever the whatever it is for for us, you know. We talked about it and we figured it out and we made that a priority. Sometimes we ate at 5:30, sometimes we ate at 7:30, sometimes it was you know, uh, a drive-through, but we a were drive-through all in the car together. It didn't matter. But we yeah, we we made it intentional and you know that built I know a really special bond between the kids and each other and us and the children and and you know it just and it kept us uh, you know connected to each other's lives every single day and that consistency uh, i i know is a big reason why i'm pleased to say that we're all really close still you know mm-hmm. even though physically we're not emotionally we're we're tight um so yeah i wouldn't change it at all but that's where i think it's Finding that work-life balance, whatever that is for each couple, is just really important to be intentional about what is that. Measure the costs. Like, really think about the costs. You know, and we did. We thought, well, okay, that means I'm probably not going to be in those, you know, late-night meetings and, you know, cocktail parties where the big deals are made or where the the big, you know, um, relationships are built with the, you know, influential people and all that sort of thing. I'm not going to be there for all that. And therefore, maybe we're not going to make quite as much money. But the time that we had together was priceless. And not only was it such a blessing for the kids and for us as mom and dad, but for me as a person because I came from a background where I didn't have that father figure mm. present. And when, when they were, it was nothing but stress. And so... I'll just leave that there for now. So, like, I felt like I was getting to live vicariously through our kids Mm -hmm. to see, like, what would that have been like to have Mm -hmm. had, like, you know, this supportive dad that was, this showed up. He showed up. You know, that was my bar for you as a dad was to show up because that was more than what I had. And, gosh, you know, all the family dinners, which was our non-negotiable, and then our our family vacations to the beach or whatever and just riding bikes at the park all that Mm -hmm. was just I got to I felt like parts of my heart were healing because I got to live vicariously through my kids to be like this is what it's like (laughs) to have like you know I mean we were not a perfect family by any measure but um but they got to have something I just didn't have 
And so I've really enjoyed looking at it through their eyes. All the tea parties that mm-hmm. you were invited to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even the, you know, the Saturday morning snuggles where they'd all jump in the bed and we'd watch Scooby-Doo or whatever. Um, just all of that was because, you know, family can become an idol and it become a bad thing like if we worship that we didn't do that but we did put it number one priority I love what our pastor says these days is he always says bring your a game home first home first mm-hmm. family first they should get the best of you not the leftover of you and 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 he practices what he preaches I mean he'll say mm-hmm. pardon the pun he'll say church you don't get my best. <laughs> my mm-hmm. family gets my best. Mm-hmm. And I just love that, you know, he can audaciously just put that out there and unapologetically. I'm like, yay you. And and I think that goes for, you know, the wives and moms as well. We can be mm-hmm. just as easily distracted. We can have just as many other things that can become more important. I always say we all get the same 24 hours in a day and we make time for what's important to us. We True. all do. True. At the end of the day, you got to look at themselves in the mirror and be True. like, I made time today for what I thought was most important, mm-hmm. whether I want to <clears throat> admit that or not, you know? So it's true for both. So I'm glad that you spoke to it from, you know, like the primary breadwinner side, but, um, you know, women and wives, working moms, everybody, you know, we, we can fall just as quickly into the, the busyness of life and miss miss the, the mark of um, those non-negotiables of work-life balance, for sure. Exactly. All right. Another one. <clears throat> Here we go. Okay. All right. It says, have fun. <laughs> well, this is a really fun one to <laughs> go from work-life balance to have fun. <laughs> so there's, I know there's a big tangent we want to go on with this one. Oh but but can... and we're going to do more so, on just yeah. this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, two one of the things that we thought was important to talk about were having common hobbies. So and then we'll save the other thing I just said for a minute. But um, so common hobbies to just have fun together because this world is hard. Life is hard. What do they say? The the days are long and the years are mm-hmm. short. I think that's how it goes. We can get stuck in a rut routine just bleh and so yeah, we gotta have, have fun to share. so what are the so what are some fun things that we learned well um besides the big one we'll talk about because <laughs> that's like a whole series and anyone <laughs> who knows us knows exactly what we're gonna say yeah. <laughs> but before that <laughs> you know simple stuff like uh when we say kind of fun hobbies or activities things like board games you know we really like to play <laughs> board games together Yes, I'm going to you say You like it. some. You, you hate. My like favorite my is the one you hate the favorite. most. No, my all-time favorite. Scrabble. You oh. lie. <laughs> That's my favorite, and you only play it because you love me. Yes, but that's kind of to the point. Is like finding things that we can do together. That And, and it's become, it, what started out where I was like, oh my gosh, this is playing Scrabble for me is right up there with taking a hot knitting needle and sticking it through your eardrum. <laughs> it's, okay. it's pretty much tied for first. Uh, but 
but it's become a fun thing to do together because I found a way to make it fun and we do it together. And, you know, it's just kind of, but there's, I mean, that's just one, but other I, board games, you know, we, we love to play board games together. So, you know, hey, if you guys are on, you know, you're listening to this and you want board game buddies, Give us a call, text us, <laughs> let's get together, we'll have coffee, we'll, uh, whatever, and, and play some board games. Ticket to Ride is fun, mm-hmm. Catan is fun, Ultimate Werewolf is awesome. Kind of fun. I love Scrabble because I'm a writer, so I love words, but also that was my mom's favorite game, and so I have a happy memory of the times that we got to play for her. And one year, my sister and I went in together with our hard-earned allowance and babysitting money, and we bought her the deluxe version that has, like, the little grid that the tiles sit in, not just, like, the smooth, you know, cardboard board. And, um, And so just, you know, that was one of the times that, you know, she was happy and we had fun together and so I actually have that Scrabble board so um, that's mm-hmm. why I like playing that and I know it's an act of love when you do it with me. You do it with a very good attitude and I don't ask you to play it often. You know, yeah, so that's, that's fun. You know. But the other three that I named, super fun and we could go on mm-hmm. but yeah, games are fun. There's one game that I would not recommend playing with your spouse and that is Risk. <laughs> do not play Risk with your spouse. Oh, my opinion. I don't want to play that game, so don't uh, fight there. And if my brother Bart or sister Michelle are listening, they know. But um, Risk, <laughs> it's a fun game. It's a little bit competitive. And it can end in tears. And so apologies for yes, the tears. Lots of apologies. But, yeah. but also a lot of good fun. But no, I would, uh, all, all kidding aside, so that's just one kind of hobby and activity that's fun to do. The other thing I love to do is hiking. Mm-hmm. We have just always loved to go hiking, and man, oh man, over the last two years, again, good segue maybe, but the last two years we've been able to do some hiking that are just bucket list mm-hmm. uh, and love to do that type of exploring together. We love bike riding. Mm-hmm. Of course, when we have... Our sweet girl, Precious, our dog, who we lost uh, not quite a year ago. All things to do with her. Tons of walking with her. Rollerblading. Tennis. I mean, we racquetball. We like all the physical stuff. Swimming. Oh, my gosh. Long walks up and down the beach. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Movie nights. I mean, who doesn't Mm -hmm. love a good movie night? Yeah. And actually going to the movies. We love 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 going going to the movies. We do. We both do. Especially if I have... Junior mints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love me some junior mints at the movie. It's the only time I ever eat junior mints at the theater. You know, talk about things that drive you crazy. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's such a fun activity. Is like, there's it, two schools of thought. Either one is, hey, you're in a movie theater and you take the candy or the chips or whatever. You take it, the popcorn, you take it out. Of the container, like the junior mints, and then you eat them from your hand. That's one way. But then the chocolate kind of melts in your hand. It's no good. So, like, you got to reach your hand into the box for each and every junior mint one at a time and, you know, kind of make that, like, sound where I'm, like, rattling them around and trying to get that one out that they stick to the inside of the box sometimes. So you kind of have to... Shuffle them a little bit, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's a fun activity in the middle of a movie theater. 
There's a third option that you didn't mention, which is the right option. I understand that the chocolate will melt in your hand. Therefore, you put a napkin in your lap and you pour them onto the napkin and then you can like pick whichever one you want. I don't understand why you have to dig your hand out and mm. root around because you know what? Junior mints are all the same. There's not like a different flavor of them or a special shape. They're they're exactly mm. the same. So why do you have to root down to the bottom of the box and it's so loud. It's you just pour them on the napkin on your lap and then, you know, it's everybody wins. Everybody wins. <laughs> I'm still working on that one. <laughs> Tried that once and lost almost half of them. What? Okay. How? Okay, people listening, look at your lap. Imagine a napkin there. And imagine you're, you know, you're reclining back at AMC Theater and they're Junior mints on the napkin in between your legs. Okay, how long are they going to stay there? Like, the, you have to be completely still, not move a single muscle. Otherwise, guess what? Those things are round. They roll. Mm. And, I mean, what a tragedy to have like a half a dozen junior mints going flying on the floor. They're gone. And then what's worse, at the end of the movie, you will step on them. So I'm just saying. Oh my darling! But the problem <sighs> is also one. with popcorn. It's not you can't just like you can't throw junior no, mints right. under it's the everything. bus because you dig into the pot. But, but you know, love it's you. another thing. Love that you anyway. Drives you crazy. It's, I'm highly sensory. I understand the problem is with me. I get it. I'm trying. But anyway, I, I think, so, yes, okay. movies are super, super, super fun for us. Fun we activities. Love that we go on the cheap night, so that's good. Or renting them at home. Well, I guess you don't rent them at home. You stream them at home now. But that's fun, too. So, yeah. So, we can find a thousand things to do that are fun. We, we really never run out of ideas like that. But then the big one. <laughs> Drum roll. The RV. Or as we call him, Cousin Eddie. Yes. We named him Eddie because of the Cousin Eddie in National Christmas... I never say that. National right. Lampoon's Christmas Vacation... You remember it was the big Class A motorhome? Well, ours is actually a Class C, but eh, we're splitting hairs. Point is, we named him Cousin Eddie. And it's been, yeah, just over two years. November, it was two years. Yeah. So it's been just over two years now that we uh, we got him as part of COVID, frankly, and have just had an absolute blast. So just a quick little place setting on that one was... COVID struck the year we became empty nesters. And so I remember putting this post on Facebook, a picture of you and I watching TV. And I was like, is this what the rest of our life looks like? Because back then, we had had people telling us, you're going to love being empty nesters. It's like having date night every single night of your life. And no, then, it's not. When, I'm, I'm sorry. Did when, you say that out loud? <laughs> whatever. When COVID hit, like the world shut down. So, no, you're not hanging out with your friends. No, you're not going out to dinner every night. No, you're not going to the movies. No, you're not, you're not doing anything. We're all stuck at home. And, and I was just, like, climbing the walls. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is it. This is about as anticlimactic as it gets. And so you had the big idea that you wanted, you wanted to buy, like, a beach house. And I was like, what world are you living in? We could never afford that. And so then and I was like, hard stop, no. So a couple days later, you come back to me, you're like, I have another idea. And I was like, what's this one? Because <laughs> I was like, that's insane. So what's this one? And you said, let's get an RV. And 
I just, I don't know, like, I had never even stepped foot in one in my entire life. Like, I had no frame of reference. You did a little bit. You guys had, like... Yeah, we had camper, we had trailers, you know. Uh, we, I grew up camping a lot, but um, never had a motorhome. Uh, always dreamed of that, but uh, we always had this, the big station wagon and the, the travel trailer and... My word, I still look back and I go, how in the world did we put six people in that little 19-foot-long trailer? And before that, it was a pop-up. And well, I know how, because half of us end up sleeping in tents outside of the thing, so... Remember um, the time of the crying? Oh, yeah, so we were in a pop-up. I never forget, it was at Moreau Lake Campground up in South Glens Falls, New York. And we're in the pop-up, and we wake up in the middle of the night. And well, actually, I think my mom woke up, and she was, she and she kind of like rustled over to us and went, "Who's crying? Who's crying?" She like she was like that baby's crying. Yeah, it's like what's the deal? Yeah, what is exactly? <laughs> yeah, she was annoyed. <laughs> the baby was crying. Keep me awake, and and I don't remember how long it took. What whatever, and then. I think she came over to us and she was like, what is it? She got up and walked over to me and I was, we were on the one end and, and something, I don't know. And that's when I realized, I go, where's Bart? You know, my little brother, right? Where's Bart? I just, he was like in the sleep bag right next to me. And now oh he's like nowhere. His sleeping bag is nowhere. He's nowhere. He's just gone. Oh no. And evidently he had kind of rolled over in his sleeping bag and, if you know what pop-ups, it's canvas, and it's just like a bungee cord around the bottom of the bed, and he had fell completely out of the camper. It was in a sleeping bag, rolled up on the ground in the middle of the night, crying. And we were like, man, isn't that dumb babies? What a bad parent. Your mom was so mad. She's like, I wish they'd make that baby stop crying if you hear her tell it. Yes. And then yeah. how bad she felt when she was like, oh, it's mine. Yeah, and I was like, where's Bart? I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, where'd Bart go? <laughs> and she was like, what? And you guys used to go, like, multifamily, like, mm -hmm. neighbors and stuff and have these, like, amazing, like, big communal camping mm -hmm. trips. My only camping experience, my one and only, was an absolute disaster. And if my sister were here, sitting here, she would she would agree. My stepdad was not an outdoorsman and uh, rented a tent, those thick, like, practically military-issued canvas tents. And we got to our campsite late at, I was six, got to there late at night, and he staked up the tent. But unfortunately, one of the four stakes, he hitched to the back hitch of the car. I'm not sure how he did not understand that that one was a lot higher than the other three that were in the ground, but that's what happened, and we no one knew. We all just, you know, great, we're going to go to bed. So the next morning, my mom and sister and I were naked, changing into our bathing suits in the tent when he decided he wanted coffee. So he drove off to get coffee, and when he did, he took half the tent with him because it ripped straight in half. And yes, it was rented. So that, oh boy. So that was bad. And in the meantime, there was this like rabid raccoon running around that was missing a tail and had a, like patches of fur off of it. Like it had been a really bad fight. And it was around in the daytime, which is not normal for a raccoon. And so I was, I was terrified of this raccoon. And so I, I made my mom carry me to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And on the way back in... 
she tripped over the stake and sprained her ankle and I went flying and she went flying and so she was injured the rest of the trip and there were just these terrible gnats and sand fleas and I mean it was just absolutely horrible so that was our one and only camping trip so um when you mentioned an RV I was like huh well, that it's not a great. tent because I don't need to do. Now you and I went tent camping with the kids, mm-hmm. which was great, but never any type of an RV, no mm-hmm. hard sides. Um, so I thought, well, I'll, let's go take a look at them. And I remember walking in it. We had our masks at that time during COVID and everything, and walking in one, and I was just like, "What is this? This is so cool! It's like a little clubhouse on wheels for adults." Like. I was walking through it like, you get a little kitchen, you get a bathroom, you get a bed. Like, I didn't know that's what was in here. And so I made a deal with you. I said, okay, if if this goes poorly, it was all your idea. Mm-hmm. If it goes well, it was our idea. I'm good with that. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. So it went. No, she wasn't. We are completely addicted now to RV yeah. life. We have been... Literally all over the country from, I think, the furthest northeast, you know, all the way up in the northeast, uh, Maine, Madison, Wisconsin, what, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, New Mexico Texas, 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 Louisiana, Miss Jackson, Mississippi, Florida, a few times, uh, South, Carolina. South Carolina, a bunch. All, it's really all over. It's just been all over. And I think the biggest thing for me is... Well, from a, from a just adventure perspective, we have completely discovered out west mm-hmm. in the Rockies and just fell mm-hmm. in love with everything having to do with the Rockies. Uh, it's just a magical place, and we, we just love it. But I think moreover, though, back to the whole topic of fun, is that, you know, you said it really, really well the other day. Even you said, you know, I love who we are when we're in Cousin Eddie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really well put because you're right. We we're you know I'm I'm working you know I'm just working from the road. I got Starlink and I got Wi-Fi and all this kind of stuff set up so I can work. So I'm working. The just the difference is is my latitude and longitude is different every every couple of days. You know, sometimes every day. But I'm I'm still doing my job. And then in the evenings, rather than you know having dinner and then you know maybe going down to a watch a movie or something like that or going somewhere in town we're going for a hike in the Rockies or something you know it's just and the business I own is is all online mm-hmm. so I can take it with me and I'm and I take the podcast with me and um, yeah it, it it has completely changed our marriage um, we've had to learn I mean already like we work really well as a team but it truly requires teamwork to do this it's it's yep. all hands on deck there's there's no diva in here no. on either side and it's it, it's work hard and it's play hard and rest hard and um i love who we are when we're on the road when we're away from you know the house and and all the normal stuff that just kind of eats away the day it's like out there wherever we wind up being <laughs> It's just like, okay, we're in it together, whatever. Mm-hmm. Wherever we wind up sleeping tonight, I don't know where we're sleeping tonight, but, you know, it's just amazing. And we would love to share 
some cool we stories about so it that were marriage enrichments. <laughs> for I sure. tell you, uh, yeah, good, bad, and ugly, but scary. Maybe good, bad, scary. Some terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Never scared in my life so much. But really, I will go so far as to say, completely impossible to get stuck in a rut mm-hmm. when you're in an RV. Totally. Unless you're literally stuck in a rut. Yeah, well, then you can. Yeah, which just happened. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it's impossible to get stuck in a rut. And it it simplifies, and it kind of back to the the fun and and who we are, is it simplifies life down to what really matters quickly. Mm -hmm. Because, A, you don't have that much stuff around you. You have, you know, little. You got the basics. Uh, And... You're constantly having to, yeah, work together and pull together and learn new things, both of us all the time. And I think that's a huge part. You know, that probably should have been one of our things is maybe, well, we'll get into a little bit, but it's like learning new things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, the things I've had to learn mm-hmm. and the projects I've had to do, figuring out how to hook up the Jeep and tow it behind and... Rather than paying somebody a bunch of money, I did it all myself. And I'm thinking, this is kind of a big deal. Yeah. If I mess this up, it's the Jeep and it's the motorhome mm-hmm. all in one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the challenge. And it's just been a, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a ton of varieties. It's a lot of fun. And if you had ever, ever, ever told me that one day I would be driving a 32-foot-long vehicle pulling a 14 foot long vehicle, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And here I am driving that thing. You rock it. And I wasn't pulling the Jeep this one time, but I remember pulling into a campsite in Maine, a tiny little campsite with tiny little spots, and I had to back into it. And the people next to us literally stood there watching me and then applauded when I got <laughs> it successfully. I just, it, it's, it's changed. It's, I mean, it's a confidence builder, really. Yeah. I mean, you're really pushed beyond what you think oh, your nerves can handle sometimes. I mean, we will have to share some of the stories about, like, the the predicaments we got have gotten ourselves blindly into as, as newbies and, mm-hmm. and out of ignorance, uh, some whoopsies. And, but they have been great moments to learn from and bonding moments that on this side are good memories, but at the time wondered if we would live through them. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta have fun. I mean, life's hard. There's enough. We we could talk. You know, anybody could talk for days on how hard life is. So you just you gotta just sometimes put all the hard stuff mm-hmm. down. It's not going anywhere. You're gonna pick it. It's gonna be there waiting to pick it right back up. So gotta stop yeah. and have some fun. And it's not to say that. You don't have fun things that you do as individuals. You absolutely need those too. But don't, I think that the risk is like, like I snow ski. I love to snow ski and I'll do it all day long until, you know, my dying day, Lord willing. Um, But snow skiing is not your favorite activity. So that's something that I do on my own. Uh, Although I would love to go snow skiing with you at any moment in time you ever want to. Um, and that's good, but I think the point is like you gotta have things that you, that you share, have some fun, that you know hobbies, activities, etc. That you do together because it it just keeps you engaged. So again, I love photography. My camera is my third hand, and I've had it. I love for this since I was ten years old. 
My great-grandmother gave me, when I turned 10, a 110 Instamatic camera. And the minute she put that in my hands for my birthday, my life was never the same after that. And my camera is my, if I'm not writing, my camera is my voice to the world and how I see the world. So it's just, I mean, I'll, I'll never stop. I, <laughs> before kids, when we had a lot of extra time to just go play, I would just drag you all over the place mm-hmm. <laughs> taking yeah, pictures. Oh, yeah. You were so patient. Especially when we were dating. Yeah, you really put in that whole boyfriend, you know, brownie point thing. Because I remember one time we, yes. we went to an overpass in Tampa where there was a lot of homeless guys. And they were selling, like, clothes out of boxes and stuff. And the, the dichotomy that I saw was here are these uh, homeless guys living under the bridge, <clears throat> under the overpass bridge. And in the billboard above the bridge was O.J. Simpson pre all of that when he was a star. And I thought, wow, there's such a dichotomy between these guys and and that guy on the billboard. I want to get this shot. So I was like, pull over here. You're like, really? Again, no cell phones, no nothing, you know, way back. This is the the early 90s and late 80s and uh, I was like yeah yeah I want to get this shot so I jump out of the car and just then this this really fancy Mercedes drives up jumps the curb this guy with like I just remember gold on every finger and wrists and everything he was just dripping in gold and he did this drug deal with the guy selling these bras that like I mean, they were enormously large. I don't even understand. I, I don't know how they were real. But anyway, he was selling this out of a box. <laughs> and these two guys do this drug deal. And I'm standing there with my camera going, hey, can I take your picture? Oh, wow. Okay, so the guy that was in the car jumped all over, you know, verbally to me. You can't do it. And I was like, I was young and just bold and a little bit gold, not a naive. And I was just like, that's fine. I will take your picture. I said, but I'm not going to leave until someone lets me. I mean, who says that? That was stupid, reckless, unsafe, stupid. But that's what I did. And so I just stood there. And finally, the guy selling the bras, is, he was like, this guy over here let you take his picture. And I was like, okay, cool. And I just walk over and I, I got my shot. And with OJ in the background and the whole thing, and we get in the car. And it wasn't until we drove away that I had a minute to think about it. And I was like... Maybe that wasn't my best call. <laughs> You're yeah. like, yeah, we're not doing that ever again. Yeah. So, like, like you were, but that one moment aside, that you, was fun you were so good about like, you know, being there for me to support my my photography hobby. But, um, but yeah, the skiing thing. I always say you've got snow in your veins. I got sand in my veins, and uh, it's and and I have skied. That's the crazy thing. You're a great skier. I don't enjoy it. I don't like being cold. I don't like wearing a lot of fabric on my body and feeling like the Michelin man all bundled up and then like flying down the hill on things that make you go faster than humanly possible. I don't understand it. So um, that's your thing. And I support you going with your, Mm -hmm. your buddies every year for your ski trip. I think it's great. You should keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fun activity. It's a fun activity. All right, cool. Stay tuned in for the second part of the anniversary edition. Oh boy, I promise you there's a lot more to come. Thanks again for listening to Real Deep Stuff. 
follow us and subscribe to save your seat at the table for the next conversation. Also, check out our Facebook page to continue the conversation on today's topic. We'll see you there.